that's a high power <laughs> position. You cannot go there as a last resort, like, oh God, you know, I, I, I finished a degree no, in I'm medical. Done. I want to become a police officer. Come on. Welcome back to episode six of Next Stop Africa. I am your gracious host, Amiki Koma. I'm from Congo. I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Benny, um, from Rwanda. Today we're here with uh, two of our regular guests. First person you guys are well acquainted with, Luden, uh, Dominican, Puerto Rican, and back again, uh, Malik um, from South Sudan. Um, before we start anything, make sure you guys check out episode five, which is on relationship. In regards to the African diaspora, I think it was a funny topic. Natalie and Benny did an amazing job. Benny especially. Um, I went to a boxing match today. Um, for those of you that don't know, you know, the next Rocky box on. I can't stand you. I box on my uh, on my. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, Luden had made a joke. <laughs> I can't. Are you mad at me? I lost my train of thought. I, but yeah, I Wait, hold on. Are you mad at me? No, it's just it's funny. I can't get it out of my head now. <laughs> um, I, I, um, I box on my on my free time. Um, more training than actual boxing. Just trying to you know live a more healthy life, but. Uh, the people that I trained with, they they had some matches today, and um, we were one and one, uh, one win, one loss, but it was good overall. I think that's the second boxing match I've ever been to. It was good. Um, how about the rest of you guys? Like, how you guys doing? How you guys feeling? Um, mentally, physically, I know. Um, what would you guys call that thing? That the time change? What's the name of that? Um. Daylight savings. Daylight savings, yes. <laughs> Daylight savings just happened. And, um, you know, men's mental health awareness just passed. So, you know, making sure everybody's good mentally. Cool. So, I guess everybody's good mentally. <laughs> Nobody's I'm just trying to think. I no, mean, I think I'm good. <laughs> I'm not fine. I'm not fine. I've been sick, trying to get my voice back. So, hopefully. You have the flu? No, I, I don't know what I have. It might be my asthma acting up or anything, but mm. I definitely lost my voice for like an entire week and I didn't start speaking until like yesterday ish. Wow. You know what would help? What? Ginger tea. I knew he was going to say that crap. <laughs> I've been on ginger tea for like day and night. I'm so tired of it. Yeah. Amy, with oh. that, I think you deserve your status as a dad. <laughs> no, no, not in all seriousness. Every single and anybody that's actually like really cool with me, they know how much I enjoy ginger tea and how much I would for anything. You call me and you ask me or tell me, oh, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling that, I'm sick, I'm not ginger tea. Like it would just solve it solves everything for me. So I just figure like I think Mr. Africa should have. Um, yes, we should get a sponsorship from. Ginger ginger tea. Tea. Sound like somebody, yeah. my grandma and my mom when they talk about Vicks. You sick? Vicks. You got a fever? Yes, that is true. 
<laughs> you, but this is true, though. You're throwing you up with some Vicks. You die internally from your stomach and you're, and you're all over the place. Vicks, like, everything. That's the truth. Look, even, um, uh, even for women, um, during, like, menstrual cycles, you look it up. Ginger tea. It's top, top two drinks. I'm telling you. Like, this is, like, the cure for everything. But people don't want to hear me. People think I'm crazy. But I don't think people think you're crazy. I think people think you're a joke. I think is what it is. I think we spoke about this. <laughs> people are like, <laughs> you always said to tell people things and they just laugh at you. You're just like, ain't nobody want to listen to me. Everybody thinks what I said is a joke. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's my fault. Cause I, you know, but, um, today's topic, um, this is, I think Benny's favorite topic. She's been wanting to talk about this for <laughs> a while now. Um, we're talking about policing in Africa. I guess I think policing in general has been like a big topic as of recent, you know, um, we look a little bit like here in the States talking about with the whole BLM movements, you know, um, I mean, you know, people of color have always had issues with, um, law enforcement. And then, um, I guess today we're just going to kind of more so look at just policing in Africa. So again, um, I think it's, I don't know if it's good to do a trigger warning. I don't, I don't know. Um, but I think it's safer to do a trigger warning and stuff like this. Right. I, yeah, I agree. Just in case if anybody feels yes. any kind of way from a mental, physical, or emotional standpoint. Yes. So yes, trigger warning. We'll be talking about, you know, policing and kind of talking about, um, death. So just bear that in mind. Um, but yeah, uh, today, I had uh, four points that I wanted to hit. Um, points and questions. The first question was, have you ever had a personal encounter with the police? Um, second point, we're going to talk about police brutality in Africa. Third point, we're going to talk about policing and corruption in Africa and how they go hand in hand. And then the last point we're going to try to hit is thoughts on police presence in communities, whether or not they should be there or not. So with that, actually, before we jump in, um, Benny, can you give us like a little brief history on like how policing started? I guess in the, in the States, I'm not sure if you. Uh, I mean, so, I mean, if you know me, you know, I like knowing origin of things. How did they start and so on and so forth? So the word police, as it stands now, was derived from a Greek word called police. I think I'm saying it correct. It's P-O-L-I-S, which means the city. So the people who were considered like a police thing were the one in charge of creating and running the cities. So their original involvement was no into like justice or like security. Their main focus mostly was no anything that involved coercion. They made it mediated some conflict sometimes, but most of it was through like talking and settling down. Most of the position was for the people in low communities, they say like commoners instead of elite. And um they performed like a wide array of tasks, including garbage disposal, firefighting, and 
most of the job that they did didn't have nothing to do with like crime control and prevention. The actual policing organization that was ever recorded, like the first one, was in Egypt around like 3000 BC. So the Egypt empire was divided into 42 jurisdictions and one jurisdiction had an official person who was in charge of justice and security and he was assisted by a chief officer uh, or a police officer chief of police who had a, a title sub Harry secure by direct translation means like chief of the hitters so it was a body of men responsible for tax collecting uh, among other duties physically security and other stuff when you look at the police system across the board, like the ancient societies, they all operated different differently. Looking at Rome, UK, I mean, the Great Britain, when you look at the America system, they are all different. In America, the police initially didn't get as much like recognition until like apparently when the European movements, when the Germans and the rest of the Europeans were coming to America and settled in certain, certain cities. The number of, the number of like these people stealing and people conflicting with each other because it was different cultures now merging, different people behaving different things. It started becoming like conflict among the communities. So they had, um, some people voluntarily, uh, to be the community watchers. Mostly men in the night from the community, they volunteer to do rounding in the night, making sure like nobody is being crazy or nobody is stealing from their community or whatever. It wasn't any paid position or anything. It was voluntarily. And we started seeing the, what we seeing they call police starting as slave catchers when, when the, especially when the slave, the enslaved people, sorry for my language. When the enslaved people tried to free themselves and running away, they started having people, especially the rich ones who owned slaves, they're the ones who started hiring men mostly to catch slaves, the ones that were on the run. And that's when you start seeing the sort of what we're going to be looking at as police brutality, like the beating, the racism, getting basically engraved in the community, in, in the police system itself. And later on, obviously, it became a big deal and they established the so-called police departments. And it also happened everywhere in France, especially during the revolution. And also we can see in Africa, especially when uh, colonial era started, obviously they brought the, the system itself into an existence. But it doesn't mean we didn't have that type of policing system where like as I say people used to volunteer to, to be like community watchers or something like that. Yeah, that's all. Um yeah, so I guess with the that little background brief history on how policing started and I guess the left turn that it took from when it originated to now. I guess I'll, I'll go first with my personal encounter uh, with the police. Luden, uh, Luden could tell, you could tell our story, <laughs> but I do have 
do have Damn. another one. Damn. No, no, you no, took no. This, You're taking that one. No, no, no. I'm saying you could. You could take that one. I have oh, okay. Because that's the only one that I have. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You could take that one. I have another one. Um, I think the, the weirdest encounter I ever had with a cop. Not sure how many of you guys know where um Plattsburgh is, but I'm in I'm in Albany, so I was driving north on I-87, going towards Montreal. Right at some point, the the highway goes from like a like a three lane highway to two way like two way highway. Like once you get once you get north, it's kind of like more rural. Like there's no you know what I'm saying it, it just look a little country, right? So. On that highway is 65, right? Do 65 miles per hour. I was doing 70, right? If anybody knows me as a driver, you know, that's very cautious of me, you know, cause I, I usually be flying. So if I get, if I get a speeding ticket, I agree. <laughs> like, well, this is about to start working. You just, yeah, no. <laughs> no, but that's what I'm saying. Like, if you, if you give me a speeding ticket, you catch me, I give you it, you know, but this time I was doing 70, right? Driving 70, I'm in the, I'm in the left lane, right? And driving, driving. I see there's a car like kind of hiding on the left side in between, between the lanes, right? There's the lane that we're going up north and there's a other side going south. There's a car kind of parked there. So I already knew that was weird, but I knew it was a cop, right? So I make sure I check my speed. I'm like, cool, I'm at 70. There's no problem. Like, I don't know if it's just like a black person thing or there's like a, you know, people of color thing. But once you drive past a cop, you have this thing to always, yeah, like, you know, you have a feeling like he's going to pull out <laughs> and he's going to come after me, you know? And then you have to check your rearview mirror a couple of times to make sure, like, he's not coming after you, right? So I drive past him and I don't know if Stan just didn't sit well with me. I'm like, yo, he's going to, he's going to pull up after me. So I'm like, let me get into the right lane, right? So I get into the right lane. I look up in the rearview mirror. There goes the cop speeding, coming. Boom. He slows down. Now, there was another driver behind me, right? So both me and the driver slow down, right? So now the cop, he slows down in between us, right? So clearly he's not going to stop the guy behind me, right? Flicks on his lights. Boom. So I'm like, wow. Pulls me over, right? So he gets over. He's asking me, um, where are you calling? Told him where I'm going, where you coming from, told him where I'm coming from, you know, asked me all these questions. And then finally he's asked, he he told me, he's like, um, do you know why I stopped you today? I was like, no. He was like, um, you know, speed limit is 65, you were doing 70, that's fine. He was like, um, you have the air freshener on your rearview mirror, that's illegal. I was like, what? <laughs> so I'm sitting there like, um, I didn't know that. You know what I mean? Like, so, so I'm taking down the I'm taking down the air freshener. I'm like, so I'm like, is this like a regular thing? Like, do you guys just stop people? You know what I'm saying? Because like, I've seen people. People always hang stuff on the rearview mirror. You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't bugging. I thought I was going crazy, but I wasn't bugging. You know? So he's like, um, give me a license and registration. Give me a license and registration. He goes back there, like. I'm there for at least like 30. I'm there for at least like 30, 35 minutes, maybe. Um, clearly I'm not worried. You know, anybody that knows me, you know, I have no, I have no record on my thing. I, you know, I don't drink, I don't smoke. So I'm never worried. I get pulled over about anything, you know, but so boom. So he comes back. 
So he's like, um, your license checked out. Everything is fine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go with a warning. Next time, I'll give you a ticket. I was like, <laughs> like, what? And I said, right, okay, cool. So boom, I went up. So the whole time I was driving while I was going up to Montreal, I kept looking at people's cars. I'm like, <laughs> is it just me? But yeah, I just saw, I just kept seeing people had the air fresheners hanging, you know? So I had to Google this and it is, it is illegal, but the rule says that they're not supposed to like stop you, you know, unless it's like obstructing your like the vision, right? Now, so clearly he used that as a reason to pull me over to to look for something. You know what I mean? So I was just like, wow. But yeah, um, so that's my experience. I think um um there was a guy I forget his name, but he was actually killed by the cops also. He was stopped for the same reason. With the air freshener hanging on his rearview mirror, and he ended up he ended up dead. So that story hit me hit me hard. Um, I'll look up his name. I'll get the name, but yeah. So after I heard that story, I was like, "That's crazy." Cause that could have been me just being stopped for, for something like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Uh, so Luden, you can you can come back. So correctly. First and foremost, all that really pisses me off. And I did look it up and uh, air freshener does not count by law as an obstruction of. The, oh, so it doesn't. Okay, the, cool. <laughs> the, the air freshener itself. Right. It's, uh, it did say you cannot hang stuff that causes an obstruction. Right, of right, you. right. An air freshener, per, it literally said an air freshener does not count as an obstruction of you. Cool. Oh, I was so that I was going crazy. Okay. Nope, it, it is <laughs> it is totally fine. I mean, like if you do something like you know, if it's hanging in front, it's like if like, oh, yeah, yeah, if yeah. you have the mirror like up high, and then you have like something hanging right in front of the yeah. mirror, literally right yeah. in front of obstructing view, that's illegal. Yeah, people use it. Then you behind, can kind of like yeah. but toss it up put in it the air. So, so yeah. this one happened a little back a little bit ago. Um, so Amy, correct me if I'm wrong. This one was, I was hysterically laughing when it happened because I thought it was, it was my first, it was actually my first ever quote unquote uh, racial profile police encounter that I ever had because I've never had one until then. So, um, more so because I live in, I used to live in New York City. So like, you know, besides stop and frisk, there's not really much of a getting pulled over by the cops because nobody drives in New York City. Everybody takes MTA. So. Me and Amy and a friend of ours, who I'm not going to name because I just, out of respect, um, we, we were drive, we were part of a summer internship at our university and we were driving, I believe we were driving back, Amy, if I'm not mistaken. Um, we were driving back and that drive is about an hour and a half. So we're driving good ways going up from Watertown back to Potsdam. So it's about hour and a half, maybe two hours on a busy day or something like that. So we're driving and for context, because this, this is um, something that, you know, to kind of give you a vision of our friend who's driving is Asian. So he is in the driver's seat. I'm in the passenger seat. I'm Dominic, as Amy said, I'm Dominican Puerto Rican and Amy is in the back seat. So <laughs> please keep that in mind. So as we're driving, there's a cop or state trooper right behind us. And as we noticed, he wasn't really close to us but kind of 
following us kind of speed is what it was, but we didn't think too much of it. We were just like, oh, it's just whatever. You know, it's only one road. They're the only car behind us. We just kind of passed that thought. So our friend got a little bit suspicious and a little bit weird and was like, okay, let me just stop and let, let me let them go first. Which, granted, okay, that's highly suspicious. If you're a cop, if you see that happen, all hands down, I will give you that. So, um, what happens later is he lets him drive, right? And then our friend gets back in the row. We drive for like maybe, I don't know, like maybe five to 10 minutes. I don't know. And we get pulled over by the cops, by the state trooper, I should say. And now when we get pulled over, he appears on the passenger side, on my side, which is weird. But again, they didn't think too much of it because we're on a highway. So there are cars coming from the uh, driver's side of the way, which, okay, granted, that's fine. But I've always seen them come on the driver's side and kind of have questions. Um, right off the bat, asked if, you know, uh, for a dr- driver's or identifications for every single one of us. Um, legally, legally, they are supposed to ask you, why do, uh, why, uh, why do you think, why do you think I pulled you over and stuff like that? So, but anyway. So they ask us for stuff. Um, I give him mine. My friend gives this. Amy gives his his visa card. At the time, Amy didn't have uh, his kind of citizenship. So he gives him the visa card. And he looks at Amy and says, I thought you were all American citizen. And he was like, they are. I'm not. But he like said it was a snarky attitude. But anyway, so he takes the IDs. He goes back and he's taking a sweet time. I think we were there for like. 10, 15, 20 minutes, like running IDs, I think is what it was. And in that time frame, I think two state, two more state trooper cars pulled behind them, asking them, hey, is everything okay? Kind of, you know, making sure how everything's going. The guy comes back to us and says, starts asking our driver friend, who's Asian, about questions about the car and who does it belong to? Um, because apparently the car and the, and the, uh, the, the license plate of the car is tied to a bus that was that happened recently that they found over 50 pounds of marijuana in them and that the car they wanted to make sure that it's what? you know <laughs> yeah they want to make they wanted to make sure that it's not that car and that you know they're asking questions and stuff like that so he's asking questions and he's just like our friend i don't think he's ever had an encounter because he was like he was like frazzled. He was like, wait, what? No. Like, he's like, this is my dad's car. Um, you know, he's been an honest man, good living. Like, he's like giving it like his good spiel. I am over there in my head. In my head, I'm dying because I know they're just trying to find a reason, but I'm just hysterically laughing on the inside. And Amy's just probably there, like, whatever, bro. Anyway, so they're having that kind of conversation. He's like, okay, I'm gonna try to run this again one more time. Just to make sure. So he goes back there. takes another like 15, 20 minutes trying to go through everything. Comes back again to ask us more questions about uh, about the car. I The second time they came by, I really don't remember because it was kind of like we were just trying to pass it as whatever. Asking us more questions about like, why, why are we, uh, where are we coming from? Stuff like that. What, what were we doing? So he goes back for another like, five, 10 minutes. And this one is pretty short. He comes back, tries to give us back their IRDs. But before he does that, he was like, well, 
I'm just just wanted to let you guys know, you know, uh, the the reason we guys pulled you over was because of what we talked about, about, you know, that bus that we found, as well as it was a little bit suspicious when you let us uh, kind of pull uh, pull to this uh, to the shoulder and let us pass, which granted, OK, that is a little suspicious. I will give him that. <laughs> and then he assumed because of how. Amy was positioned in the car. He assumed that we were bringing uh, an illegal immigrant into uh, <laughs> and assumed that the way that Amy was positioned and hunched over in the back seat, that we were bringing in somebody that was an illegal immigrant from outside the country. Um, so he explained this to all of that to us. Saying this is the kind of reasons why this is that, and is you know we were just trying to like it was like he was trying to find something, but all of our records were all clear, so he had no basis to say or do anything, and all the cars behind them couldn't say or do anything. There was we were we were super compliant because we were just like hysterical laugh. I was hysterically laughing, but they had they had absolutely no basis. So by the time that you know when he comes back and is giving us that spiel. It's almost like a set of like of defeat because he couldn't find anything for us. So he was like trying to justify his action. Well, you know what? We were just trying to find this and trying to find that and you know, have, have a great day and let's just go our merry way. And after this happens, I am bursting the laughing because I I was just <laughs> unbelievable that this actually happened. Like I was I I just, Amy, you can you can testify. I was laughing. I couldn't believe it. I thought it was funny. <laughs> so yeah, that was my first time ever, and since then, I don't think I've ever been pulled over or anything for nothing. No, first off, <laughs> our friend could have gotten us all <laughs> locked up that day. That is very true. He was like, very frazzled. He was. It was his like, first time. You know, you know and he was oversharing too. Yeah, you know when a cop stops you, they're they're yes. trying to like lure you into into confessing to something that you're not even, you mm-hmm. know. And he was he was looking scared. And I'm like, so mm-hmm. we're we're like, yo, bro, just calm down, bro. Just answer his questions calmly. Yep. Don't be don't be nervous. If you start to look nervous, it's like, oh yeah, you're guilty of something. You hear me? <laughs> and it's like. I'm like, bro, we just can't make it home tonight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just like calm down. Like, yep. yeah, no, the, the smuggling thing was, yeah. That was, that like, was a, bro, I just. That was like I, a cherry on the, top. Because he's in, in Africa and I bet Emmy started speaking an accent. <laughs> nah, nah. <laughs> nah. Nah, it was definitely, it was definitely, yeah, it was definitely the green card that probably, that made him white. But it is what it is. It's over. But yeah, uh, Benny. No, but not even that, because that's a visa. That's an authentic visa. Somebody who's an illegal immigrant doesn't have one. So they wouldn't even be, be able to provide that identification. Is very true. That is very true. So there's no basis on that conclusion. On that, you should your, your mind should have been like, oh, he has a visa. Okay, he's, you know, he has uh, he's authorized to live in the country. That's true. That's, that should be your first thought. <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> but yeah, Benny, what's your... What? I feel like Emmy is the is the chief of the encounters here because I tried my best. If people know, I am scared. I think the risk of things I'm scared of, police officers or any person who has a gun or like armies, 
they are among my top things that scare me. And I do my best to avoid them. But until Amy, <laughs> Amy, you know, you know, Amy knows this. Amy got me in trouble. He got me in the situation. Amy, you got her in trouble? <laughs> Bro! I completely forgot about this. Wow. I just want to say there's three stories and every single story is centered on Amy. Let's skip this. Let's skip this. There's no, I can't skip this. We don't need this story. No, I want to hear it. I didn't, I've never heard about this one. Benny, go tell the story. So I go back to Albany and then I'm like, oh, let me, let's hang out, right? So we go and hang out with friends and Kindly of him, he offers to give me a ride back to where I was staying with my friend. All I can say, yes, he didn't make a mistake. He took a wrong turn, um, the opposite um, traffic, you know. Obviously, there were no cars coming at that time, but he notices and he tried to be slick about it. He thinks he can, he can get to the roundabout. <laughs> just forget everything then the car started coming it was like wait wait there's no way to do this so he tried to go over the curb and go to the actual lane that he's supposed to take right successfully does it the moment he's on the top of the curb the car start coming from like the actual direction they were kind enough to allow him to enter the road but so we drive it was like 30 seconds we, we get to that like the roundabout but the moment we passed the runabout, the police officer stops us. I was like, no. Because that was, I was like, okay. <laughs> okay. Listen, listen. First off, you know, I just got glasses. So <laughs> let's get that That out has there. nothing to do with it. It does, yes. It was dark, you know? That's, that's true. That's true. Three. That's true. I'm not good at roundabouts. I'm not the best at roundabouts. Natalie could could attest to this. I almost died one time on a roundabout going to visit her. So, look, mistakes happen. Mistakes happen. <laughs> Are you trying to justify it? It just so happened the guy that let us get to the other lane was a cop. It's just bad timing. <laughs> <laughs> he asked me, he said, Are you drunk? <laughs> I said no. We just came from breaking fast. Uh, we're fasting for Ramadan. I can't drink. <laughs> no, yeah. Wow. I can't believe I forgot about that. It's a press memory. Why would you press bring... it so yeah, much? Why, why would you? Why would you bring this up? Why, why would I not? Because this is the story to tell. Like twenty years from exactly. now, exactly. I'll be wow. telling this. No, because I was shitting myself, bro. Like any coffee. <laughs> Oh, she didn't rest that because yeah. I'm already, I'm telling you guys, I'm scared of police. Like, I would do, I'm scared of a few stuff in life. But, like, my top fear police, animals, including dogs. I can't. Oh, I don't share no space with me. Like, I can't. Like, my life ends at the moment. And Emmy just put it right there. But he, he has to come in. Don't yeah. worry. I have yeah. a clean. Yeah, of course. of course. I think we were sent by because we were by the school. If we was on the road, I think we would have gone. Seriously, we would have <laughs> gone. But I know my school had an incident with the police brutality, so they have been trying to be a little bit 
less crazy. So I feel like that's what saved us in class. Obviously, you didn't have no records and yes. you throw in the yes. Ramadan stuff. So yes. God, <laughs> God. God is on our side that day, yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. But um, Malik, um, do you have a personal encounter with the the police? Uh, well, I haven't had any eventful experiences like what, what you've all gone through, but I do remember one. <laughs> I do remember one. Uh, this was back in uh, I think 2011. Um, back in South Sudan, we were coming back from a family road trip in like three cars, a convoy of like three cars. Most of the cars were packed because you know, it was like a family reunion of sorts. So we kind of arrived into Juba, the capital of South Sudan, a bit late. Must have been about uh, four, three to four a.m. Right. So out of nowhere, like as soon as we got into the city, out of nowhere, like uh, about three different cop cars just started, you know, whizzing the the lights and the sounds, the sirens and everything, you know, following us. So we did nothing wrong because we just got into the city. So um, we decided to just stop, you know, like good law-abiding citizens would. But as soon as we did, you know, like active uh, cops got out of those cars and they got into the driver's seat. You know, they removed all of the drivers from the cars that we were in. And they're like, we're taking you all to the station. We tried to ask them why. They're like, all right, yo, if you want to survive this night, you know, you, you got to remove something. Corruption, what? obviously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah oh, you have to give us oh. something, you know, give us something for coffee or for tea. And uh, um, we, we tried telling them we just got back from a very long trip. We're tired. We don't have anything, you know, just let us go. They refused. So they got into the, the driver's seat of the, the different cars that we had. And then the, uh, the, there was like two cop cars in, in the front, then one at the back to make sure that nobody escapes. And, you know, it's like a convoy now leading us to the station. But we reached a roundabout near the station and there was a captain, you know, their boss, I guess, the captain of the, who was on duty on that night. He stopped every, like all of the cars that were coming and he was like, what's going on? Why do you have all of these cars? Then they were like, oh, we found these guys and uh, they, they lied that, uh, you know, we were disobeying the laws and, you know, we were driving on the wrong side of the road. So the captain, surprisingly, was a relative and... Once he found out that he knows us, <laughs> once he found out, he, he tried to come and, like, he came into all of the, ca the cars to check who was it, you know, like, who was being yeah. taken to the station. And he realized that it was us, you know. Then the, the guy was like, nah, just, you know, just don't ask for anything from these guys. This, this is firm, you know. So, oh. though it wasn't such an eventful, you know, experience, I guess it reflects on the corruption and the nepotism part, you know, of the police uh, situation in, in, in Africa. No, yeah. Um, actually, wait. One Malik just said all well, his story. I think that kind of brings us to our second point, right? About um, uh, policing and corruption, and also police brutality in Africa. So, I'll kind of just point out, I guess, the 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 more popular stories or events that occurred in Africa, um, as of late in regards to like policing. So the first one we could look at is um, Nigeria. They had ZARS, which stands for Special Anti-Robbery Squad. Um, ZARS is kind of known for unlawful killings, torture, and extortion. Um, there was the whole NZARS movement um, that started last year in October. I mean, is it ZARS or SARS? 
what I say. I say SARS, right? Yeah, SARS. Is any SARS with a Z, but it's SARS. Sir? I and think it's supposed to be SARS and SARS. That's what I say, SARS. You're saying SARS. You know, English is not my first language. We're right? not trying to, we're not just, <laughs> we're not judging you. We're just trying to clear up, clear up. Uh, we, we, we're yes. trying to be clear. I just wanted no, to. Like, no, no, they know. Yeah, they, they yeah. know what I mean. Some but people don't know. know the full the full thing. They just know it's SARS and they, that's it. Yeah, but I said what it was. I said special anti-robbery spot. Yeah, SARS. Not yes. SARS. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, there was the the SARS and SARS <laughs> movement <laughs> um, that took place uh, last year. Uh, started um started last year October. I think it's been uh, quote unquote disbanded since then, but I'm not I'm not really sure. You know how Africa works, but uh, there was this article from Al Jazeera. Um, they they're like a news outlet. They're located in the Middle East. They usually put out pretty accurate news um, about like different things. But they wrote uh, they wrote an article on SARS <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> And uh, I'll just, I guess, read a little blurb on like uh, one of like one of the many instances about like the police brutality that sparked that movement. So, in April of last year, Kofi Bartos, a 34-year-old radio journalist in Nigeria's River State, was filming three police officers from the special <laughs> anti-robbery squad <laughs> beating another man when they and three of their colleagues turned their attention to him. So that journalist uh, took to Twitter to kind of tweet about what happened. Um, he described being being beaten and arrested. And this is the quote from him. They took turns to slap, punch, kick me while I was struggling with a swollen knee. At least six officers at one time. That's crazy. That's highly unnecessary. I think, um, I think that kind of speaks to like a lot of like law enforcement in Africa. They, um, they're driven with power, you know. They know, they know they have the power because they have a, a gun in their hand, and you know, they can do whatever they want, basically, honestly. And then there's South Africa, which has SAPS. Is that good enough for you, Benny? SAPS, <laughs> South African Police Service. Uh, you good? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. My Z's, no, my Z's and S's, you know, (laughs) it's my downfall. I can't be perfect in life. But uh, SAPS is known as one of the most brutal policing systems in the democratic world. Uh, It's also known as the most corrupt public servants. Um, They're known for unlawful killing, rape, torture, etc. Anything, anything under the sun, they do. There's this article from off of uh, Foreign Policy, which is also another news outlet that they wrote about them. So I'll just, another quick little blurb about them. Um, in late August, Nathaniel Julius, a young South African boy, was killed by police in the Eldorado Park police station in Soweto. According to the neighbors, Nathaniel, who had been living with Down syndrome, was shot in the head and chest because he did not respond to officers' questions. He was unarmed. The police claimed that the boy was killed during a competition between police officers and gang members. Gang violence is a huge problem in El Dorado Park, a suburb south of Johannesburg. 
um, the three officers that were involved in that incident, they have been arrested and charged, which the report said is rare for something like that to happen. Um, and it only happened because, well, that situation itself had gained a lot of media coverage. They also talked about how uh, South Africa has had a history of like police brutality and human rights abuses in the country, obviously because it traces back to like apartheid when the police were used to dominate and discriminate against black communities and to hunt down enemies of the regime. And clearly, like the legacy of that brutality survived the country's transition and to more like a multiracial democracy. So one of the officers um, has like a nickname in the street. Um, they call him Scorpion because like he's known like uh, to be to be like very brutal against like regular civilians and all that. Um, he he also has had like um, cases on him, like he has like current cases on him for being for like police brutality, but he was still in the force, which just goes to show you like it didn't really matter. So they already knew what they were doing. Like it felt like they could get away with it. Um, the lady that actually shot Nathaniel, she said she thought that um, the bullets were blank. <laughs> so, which is, I don't know. To me, it's like, if the bullets is blank, why would you, you know, shoot at somebody's head? <laughs> which, which makes no sense. But at least they, you know, they were able to convict them. So I guess that's a good progress in one end. But and then the last one was uh, the Kenyan police, which was also last year, uh, where six people in Kenya died uh, from police violence during like the first 10 days of Kenya's dusk to dawn curfew, which was imposed on March 27 of 2020, uh, where they were trying to contain the spread of COVID. But again, I feel like there's a better way or like a safer way to kind of do all these things without having to literally kill somebody you know what i mean like if the goal is to contain the spread of covid or to enforce you know a policy that you guys passed you know you don't have to kill anybody um the president of kenya did apologize for the deaths but the people are saying like you know the police like police presence is still the same you know and like um that they're still like mistreating people. So really that, uh, that was like a half hearted apology because really he wasn't going to do anything. Um, so I guess with that, um, I'll open up the floor a little bit to everybody and we could talk about the police brutality in Africa and like, uh, the correlation between policing and corruption in Africa itself. I think, African police are like bullies, you know what I mean? They they just kind of have this, I guess, this feeling of like like they're untouchable, kind of, you know what I mean? Like like they could do anything that they want, you know? Or this feeling of like they're better than everybody else, you know what I'm saying? Because again, they feel like they're untouchable, you know, and with that, they feel like they could enforce their own rules, you know? And again, that's where like extortion comes in, you know, where they could, they could, let's say, um, Hey, I want you to pay me $50 every day or else I'll do this. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I mean? Like something, stuff like that, you know? So I don't know. Well, 
what is you guys' thoughts on this? And also, before you guys go, um, I know the the countries that you spoke about is you know it's kind of in in comparison to like the entirety of Africa, it's it's nothing. You know that was like four countries. You know what I mean? So, and those are just like the small stories that are spoken of, right? Because you can still look at those countries, and there's still you know accounts that are that we're not aware of. You know what I mean? Because like um. What was that? I think it was in South Africa too. Those that same um, the Saps they killed. I think it was like thirty four workers that were protesting or staging like a protest. I think it was like a mining company that they were um, doing it against, and um, they so basically just massacred them. I forgot what the name it was. It was called something massacre, but slipping my mind. But yeah, so it's just it's stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like if if you don't even like take the time to even like research it or even like look it up like you don't even know it exists you know what i'm saying like because at this side of the world it doesn't get any type of media coverage you know and that's why i was i was genuinely happy that you know the end sars <laughs> movement was a <laughs> was a thing because it you know because nigerians are everywhere you know in the world and they're very you know vocal about about everything, you know, they were able to, you know, get, gain some attention, you know, kind of bring light to that issue that's been there for a long time. But yeah, um, so just open up the floor a little bit. I mean, as you say, the, the truth is, you know, like when you give somebody power, mm-hmm. I feel like is, is, is them holding that, um, gun that gives them the feeling that they're untouchable. But what I wanted, what I was curious about, because I, I I did have a conversation with my brother before, and we're talking about like police brutality here as compared to like police brutality in Africa, right? When we talk about police violence or injustices in America, most of the time it's driven by race, right? Most of the time we know. If you're in the wrong, the police is going to stop you regardless if you're white or black, right? But the brutality starts by when they come close to you and they notice the skin of, the color of your skin, right? That's where the violence most of the time happens. Even if you're right or wrong, the difference happens most of the time when you're black or maybe other uh, minority group, right? But when it comes to Africa, especially countries where we majority of them are black people, like Nigeria. What is the driving force of the brutality in African policing system? I just want to hear, like, what you guys Um, I think it's, like, uh, probably social status. I feel like that's even every, anywhere, you know. It's, like, um, I guess I guess a good analogy would be, like, um, how people view homeless people kind of thing, you know. It's, like, there's this, there's a lot of people that have this, I guess, idea of like, um, holier than thou, like I'm better than you, you know? So I guess, I guess that could be applied there, you know? And again, that ideology was kind of brought in by, um, you know, by when we were colonized, you know? It's like they were given that, everybody was given that type of like classism, you know? Where now the police just kind of feel like, you know, I can do whatever I want because I'm in this higher bracket than you. You know what I mean? 
and I can get away with it, you know? But, but again, like if, if somebody does something, right? Like they do something bad continuously and they get away with it, you know? They will never have to have that fear of like, if I do this again, somebody's going to say something. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like a kid. If, if you're raising a kid and they're like doing something that you don't like, but you're never telling them to stop, you know, the one day you tell them to stop, they gonna look at you like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? I don't know if that makes sense, but like, that's kind of like, I don't know. I, I just think it's like a, probably like a, kind of like a classism kind of thing. Okay. What about you, Malik? Uh, well, I want to talk specifically about, uh, the governments that empower some of these policemen to act the way that they do. I could give an example of uh, seven. I'm sure Benita, you know about this. Uh, you've heard of Messenger and what you want to try to you know, run against him in the political scene. Yeah. But he usually uses the, the force of the police to try to undermine their, let me say, their process of uh, maybe campaigning or you know, any other step that they might take to try to gain support from the from the community. So governments also kind of empower these policemen to push their political agendas. The same thing applies to, to many Kenya as well. This might just be rumors, but it does have a bit of truth in it. Like um, most Kenyans are now, you know, getting ready for the elections and, you know, the those that are running are trying to campaign and whatnot. So um, in the past couple of months, before they lifted the curfew, right? You know, they kept pushing curfew when these guys kept asking for the curfew to be lifted so that they could campaign and try to, to get support from, from people as they prepare for the, for the elections. You know, it was always met with scorn from the, from the guys at the top, you know, they're like, nah, not yet. It's not at the right time, you know? So I think politics plays a big role in how the politics treats the citizens. Yeah, well, uh, one other point that I can mention is that uh, there's lack of proper training here. You know, it's like they just look at you, they they, they see that you've got the body, like, yeah, you're kind of strong. Why don't you just go ahead and get a gun? No, they don't try to uh, check their psychological, you know, uh, status before they give that person the gun. They don't try to check their background before they give that person the gun. So I think... If there was proper training, there would be less cases of police brutality, you know, um, in, 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 in Africa. And we can also talk about the bias that most policemen may have. For instance, in Kenya, I don't know if you guys heard of this controversial police officer in Kenya called Muhammad Ali that, uh, went on a killing spree, literally hunting down criminals and suspected criminals in broad daylight. It's on BBC. You know, for anybody interested, you can just go and check it out. Muhammad Ali. He went ahead and just started killing anybody suspected to be a criminal. Some of them were, yes, criminals, but that wouldn't be the right approach for somebody that, uh, for somebody that is a literal citizen of the country. A criminal must face the, the right system of judgment, you know, not just being shot in broad daylight like a dog or an animal, you know? So some of them have this bias that everybody out there is inherently evil or, you know, bad. So that's, thing that uh, might contribute to how police uh, officials or law enforcement officers act in, in, in Africa. Um, yeah, okay, so talk about the discrimination that's kind of prevalent in Africa. Yes, we're all black, but there's still 
discrimination growth can be in form of tribe as well. It can be tribe, it can be, you know, uh, geographical. So all of these aspects, we cannot just pinpoint one main problem that leads to the, to the police brutality in Africa. There's very many things that, you know, come together to, to, to that contribute to the whole, to the whole situation. Oh, that, that, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I was going to say, um, that was a good point that he made about how the cops are kind of appointed there. Cause, um, that was in the article also. Um, there was this one guy who was a, who was a, who was an ex cop, but now he's a professor. He was mentioning that about how literally what he said about how, like, if you have the body for it, they would just give you a gun. He said, you're good. And also, um, I thousand percent agree about the tribe also being in like the issue because um I I don't know where I think I think it's Guinea I think it was in Guinea where like the Fulani's and I forgot what the tribe but they they always have problem I'm not sure I don't know I'm not sure what what tribe the president is from but he would um he would use like um the like the the police to go kill the tribe so yeah that's definitely like and i'm not don't quote me on this but i'm pretty certain that's that is what happened you know but but yeah um the points he made were very valid i think his points are way more correct than mine about classism no i feel like it's all the same no true it's the same because well, everything is true this is opinion and experience and there's no right or wrong answer to what i can say but there's so many factors into this, as Malik said, and we can't just isolate one to say this is the right one and the other is not right. I feel like everything is right. And also, there's something that, that you just mentioned with the power being an issue. Even my brother was trying to explain it to me. Just looking at the political leaders, the ones who want to retain power or the ones who are, who are being like protest against, for example, like in Nigeria, people have been going against Buhari for so many reasons, and some of them are obvious. Um, but in case where there's like protest, most of the time when the po- when the political leader, especially the higher you are, the more power you have. When you know people are protesting against you, what do you do? You order down. You command. You know what? Go, go, whoever is protesting, go tear gas, go start shooting. Just make sure they are out of the way so that we can cover up the stories or whatever they're doing. And then I can keep on running because the more people on the street, the more stress and forces you're going to be getting to kick you out of the, out of the office. Right. So that's one other reason. Power, like the higher up people are so, so much down to the influence and the root cause of the police brutality because in Africa most of the time it's like once your supervisor or your superior tells you oh do this you have to do that if you don't do it what happens to you you lose your job isn't it so most of the time they are just responding to command and even if they are coming and hitting or shooting it's no it might not even be like the person wants to do it themselves it's just like they can't say no because that's their source of life. There's not. They don't have no other job or anything, as you say, except being a police officer and ex- executing whatever orders that is coming from above. Um, but Luden, what do you have 
Just say it. Um, so this is what I think to everyone. I'm going to go real psychological and this a lot. This a can't say the dang word. And I'm going to go... Philosophical? Philosophical. Philosophical? Wow. Yes. I'm going to go... Philosophical. I'm going to go psychological and a little bit into the uh, philosophy of (laughs) this aspect. Stop laughing. Anyway, so I think it, it, it all strings a line of from where it all started and how everything started. And from a psychological standpoint, when you appoint people into power, when they're, you know, your typical, you know, a great power comes great responsibility, you can argue, you know, about how that power has this sense of, uh, of, of responsibility, of, of a carry load of what you have on you and what you're capable of. Now, what comes to mind immediately is the Stanford prison experiment. Um, and for those who are not aware of that experiment, it was in Stanford University around in 1971 when they took 24 men. Half of them were prisoners and the other half were prisoner guards. The experiment was supposed to be two weeks long, but was cut short on day six or day eight, if I'm not mistaken, because of how gruesome and how abusive the quote-unquote officers, the students, mind you, these are all students, were playing into their roles um, from students acting as enforcers um, and becoming very abusive to the students acting as prisoners, turning into rebellious action, like in an actual rebellion, like what you typically see, like in, you know, your typical like sci-fi fiction movies where you have like the whole prison rioting and stuff like that. To, to that kind of extreme to point. Now, none of them were, you know, given a, given a rundown of like, okay, you're going to be, you know, a officer. So these are your credentials and what you need to understand and stuff like that. There wasn't like training or anything like that. They were just kind of shoved into there. You, you can kind of say about how all that kind of mumbo jumbo kind of all happened. And, you know, people have, approved or disapproved the availability of it but that experiment showed how people act in position of power and then with the other aspect of what you were talking about Benny about like how people can do like all these different things on a on a women command there was an experiment that was also done when during World War II during the Holocaust about like how people were able to carry on and do all those horrific things to people and be like Okay, go shoot them or go put them in a gas tank and go get rid of them. Like, how do people like understand that and be like, Oh yeah, sure. Let's do that. Like, no, let's not do that. So there was an experiment about that. And just to not bore you guys with a lot of the details, they basically had one person on one side of the wall. And what they had in front of them was your typical kind of like uh, police like mirror, what they had in front of them, but they couldn't see the other side. And all you can do is hear. And you were next to the person that was quote unquote, the person that was interviewing you, but disguised as kind of like your your boss. And every time you were pressing a button, you would hear the sound effect of someone in pain. Now, no one really was in pain, but it was all just sound. And as the more you press the button, the greater and greater the sound increased, and you know the more person acted in pain. And people were like, "Are, are, are you sure?" Like. 
the per- they sound in pain. Like, I, we, I think we should stop. And they were like, no, 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 keep going, keep going. And it's like people kept going. So it really goes into a psychological mindset of how very early on, a lot of the practices and a lot of, you know, what was what was done early on was position of power where you have this set, this person in power and this person not in power and establishing a clear dominance between the two. Now, over the line, and this is my this is my theory, my speculation, that because of all the colonization, a lot of those practices from a psychological standpoint got passed down, whether, you know, from a uh, from a subconscious or uh, conscious mindset got taken into a lot of people's ideas, beliefs, and practices, you know, to, down to the point that when people just like follow the sheep or follow the herd of like, are, are you sure? Are you sure? Like it, to, to be okay with it, you know, and psychology has a huge effect on people, very huge. So it's like, if you take that and now a lot of the practices were done very early on you know in terms of of like slavery in terms of like how people are used to abuse other people and would just be okay with it and not say anything if you take that and trickle the uh trickle down that line that timeline all the way to now a lot of those ideologies methods and practices probably got passed down consciously or subconsciously so then you have this trickle effect of what happened initially to now where we have a ripple effect of all that into police brutality and all those different things that we've been seeing. So that's kind of my psychological take on it. So, yeah, that, that, that's some good knowledge you dropped here, trying to get us into science. Uh, <laughs> but the question is now do you guys think that what we're witnessing now, the police brutality in Africa or violence, is the result of the Western? influence or because when you look back back in the time obviously we spoke about the history of the policing system in the Asian uh, societies obviously there's a system where that controlled or patrolled the village to like get the criminals and all the question is how do you think it was applied like how did they do it how would it be different if it was still in the system right now or would the Western standard of the policing system still have the power over like the whole policing system? I feel like there's so many questions, but I hope y'all can understand like where I'm coming from. I- am I confusing you guys? No, 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 no. I say so. I hope I didn't confuse anybody to what I was saying. So the reason that I said all of that was because of Benny's question, because it's like. If you take out like all the colonization that kind of happened and occurred and everything like that, would it still happen amongst your own people? Would it still happen amongst, you know, that, that practice? And that was the reason why I brought it up because I feel like even if there was no Western colonization and like, you know, everybody kind of lived in their own like little separate countries, um, little separate states, uh, continents and all that kind of nature. I still think that people, even within this own people will do something to that extreme. Why? Because of position of power, because of the psychological effect, and because of the crazy, absurd. Um, I kind of want to. I kind of want to call it darkness because, like, it, it that's essentially what it is when you go into a position of power. It, it it causes this sense of cloud of darkness. So that that's kind of like my my train, and that's why I was kind of mentioning all that kind of history because it's like all that sends back to like you know 
very early on, that's like what people did. Like that's the practices of what people saw normal. So people seeing that for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, like that can go to one psyche and just like inhibit a practice like that of like a normal practice, like normally seeing that of a psyche of humans for like for the past couple of hundred years, you know, when you when you get into this position of power, you're like, it's almost like human nature, quote unquote, I kind of want to call it false human nature, where you get into this sense of power and like, want to dominate and want to seize over and control so that's kind of my thing malik i I know you're going to talk i'm so sorry i just had to jump an opportunity because i was like i gotta get this out go ahead malik i agree with Loden when he said that uh, it mostly comes down to human nature regardless of whether there's colonialism or you know or, or if there's any influence from from other people but yes, I believe that we do have a few standards that uh, we still uphold today that uh, were introduced by the colonialists. And maybe things could have been different if uh, we weren't influenced by them. But certain behaviors are inherently human, regardless of whether you've been colonized or not. Things to do with corruption, to do with being high on power. So I completely agree with Ludin. But yeah, even before that, as well, we all kind of agree, like we can dispute this. There's a human characteristics with power and acting crazy. But uh, when we look at the system itself that now we're looking at, especially the, you know, like when we talk about even education, we we spoke about this education system, right? Uh, where the syllabuses or the stuff that we learn most of the time were written and broke from the outside, right? I feel like in my still, this is my own opinion. I don't know the percent, like the statistic about it, but they still, the, the, the structure and everything, the way it was introduced right now is still also like a Western structure-ish. Do, do we have like place where our governments actually went in and restructured? True. But did they completely destroy the old structure and then introduce a new one, or did they just try to modify? But sometimes when you try to modify stuff, you still have the defaults in it. So I could still see the influence. And when we're looking at um when we look at Africans, some of the things that we do is copy and paste, right? The same manner that the police was responding to Black Lives Matter movement in America or the Black Lives Matter movement in France, because we did see some French police officers also acting crazy. It was almost similar to the way the police officers were responding to NSARS in Nigeria. And it was a similar situation when it happened to uh, uh, the protest against SARS in South Africa. So is there a Western influence on how the police is acting in Africa? I would say yes. It might be different, or people might have a different opinion, but I do believe that there's that type of Western influence. Um, was was that a question, or is that like a... That is a question. Well, what do you think? Everything happening, is it because we're all trying to become democratics, or...? Um, I don't know. I feel like that's like a double-edged sword. But I'll say, I think... Um, I agree with uh, what Luden and Malik were saying. I don't think it necessarily matters, like um, the structure itself. I mean, it it plays a role, yes, but 
I think like at the end of the day, the core is like the way people act when you give them power. You know what I mean? Like any bit of power, you can see that anywhere. Like you give somebody a little bit of power over another person, they will start acting a certain way because they know, you know, they're able to do stuff that you can't do and they could get away with. So I don't, I don't necessarily think like, um, like we need to, I mean, obviously we need to change our, our governments. Yes. But, but I don't think, I don't think like, regardless of the fact, I think, I think, uh, people's mindsets are kind of set in one way for the most part. So I think, I don't, I don't know. But to play a devil's advocate on that, because obviously one of other things that we're saying as a good cause for the violence is there was power and was the the government, the officials who are being protested against being the one to order people to go shooting. We mentioned mm-hmm. Uganda, we mentioned mm-hmm. uh, Nigeria. So government changing, that's another issue. Also, uh, if the government is corrupt and is not paying people the amount of due, that's why they're stopping people even when they're not supposed to be stopping. So the exactly. government... If I could comment on that underpayment thing, I don't think it's 100% a major cause, especially in Kenya. Um, Kenya has one of the highest institutional corruptions than any other country that you know you can think of in Africa. Like It's completely part of the system to the extent that whether you're in the lower ranks or the highest of ranks, you're still corrupt. So it's not about underpayment. It's just that it become part of the system so much so that you cannot tell you cannot tell who's being underpaid and who's being you know overpaid. So it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're in the highest rank or the lowest rank, you're still corrupt, and that's the problem. It's part of the system, you know. Yeah. So I don't think it's underpayment or anything like that. Oh really? Because the system that, itself is the system itself. But like, how is the system coming to play? Is called. What, the government, what? the people in power, you know, they allow it to happen right from the beginning. Okay, you know? that's that's true. But also, what about in places um, where, for example, we're talking about South Africa, right? Um, yeah. This one place where they're claiming, I, I don't say, I shouldn't say they're claiming, but this one place that they say is now, it has the highest, like, criminal, like, drug dealers or whatever, right? Right. And because most of the people, the police officers didn't get more payment, you know, they started getting involved with the drug dealers. And this is true, and it happens everywhere. Even in America, there have been certain incidences where they, they think maybe the police officers are working with uh, the drug dealers, and that's how they're able to escape or run their things through whatever, right? But had the, the people been paid sufficiently, would they still want to be getting involved with the drug dealers and getting extra money? Maybe, maybe not. But like there will be lower cases of people now wanting to get involved in this type of corruption if they were getting paid more. Because the basic human needs is what? Meals, shelter. If you're working and you're not getting enough money to afford your food for the day or afford a house on top of like a roof on top of your head 
obviously, obviously you're gonna get involved in other stuff because most of the time the human characteristic is overpowered by our basic needs. Well, uh, you do have a point. Yes, certain places might be underpaying their law enforcement officers to a degree. But at the same time, I don't believe that we should blame the people that are in charge of paying them because you don't go into a job without knowing how much you're going to receive. So greed plays a big role in them dealing in drugs as well, you know, or them getting into corruption. Greed. Most of them know how much police officers are paid. Why would you go into that job if you, you know, if you know exactly how much you're going to receive? You're doing that to protect, to serve and to protect. Well and good, serve and protect with your salary. You know? That's true, but like this is the thing, though. We know the rate of under like unemployment is the worst thing in not even in Africa across the globe, bro. Like unemployment is crazy. Even myself, right now, the job I'm working is not supposed to be the job I work for, having my degree or whatever. But still, I'm still going into because that is the best I can get for now. So most people are joining police officers, not because they don't know the money, or they don't know it's no money, but that is what they have. When we talk about certain issues that are affecting Africa, unemployment is the highest, especially even the people who are even graduating college. They don't have nothing. You got your bachelor's in biology, you got bachelor's in financial accounting, engineering, you still don't have no job, but there is a police office position happening. Are you gonna That's stop it? That's money? a red flag. That's a red flag, in my opinion. Anybody that joins a police force, which is a very, very, very important role, that's a red flag. As a as a last resort, that's a red flag, in my opinion. You know, <laughs> with great okay, you'll agree with me. Anybody who watches movies, right, will agree that with great power comes greater responsibility, right? <laughs> so. That's a high power <laughs> position. You cannot go there as a last resort, like, oh, God, you know, I, I, I finished a degree no, in I'm medical, medical I want to become a police officer? Come on. That's a lot. You're supposed that? to serve and protect. Serve and protect. That should never right, be a last resort. That. No, you don't have No, no, but listen, you, listen. Because this is the thing, though. Like, this is the thing for, like, not everyone is going to put other people's interests in front of their own interests. It's in human nature. What is the that the uh I don't want to go into biology. The basic um drive of life is survive and reproduce. Is no protect others and then no, you have to start by you. Obviously in biology there's certain cases where people end up sacrificing themselves for the greater goods of the, the whole population so that they can reproduce, right? But the first thing is I need to survive. You, my league. Imagine you're in a situation. <laughs> no, you're in a situation. You have no job. Your mom is sick, God forbid. None of your uncles can speak up for you. None of your friends can stand up. They need to go in the hospital. You know, in Africa, there is no way you're going to get treatment unless you have money. True, right? What is right. the first thing you're going to do? Your survival rate is you being able to provide for yourself. There's no way you're going to get money unless you... I really want to let you finish, but I strongly already disagree. I cannot finish a mechanical degree and say that, oh gosh, you know, there's a job opening in the medical industry. Let me just go and get a job there. Why not? 
No, because I, like I don't know anything about medicine. <laughs> I don't know anything about but, the, but medicine. We say, but we, no? we that's did a job say, that we requires a lot of responsibility. No, listen, that's a job that requires a lot of responsibility. I cannot just say that, okay, fine, I'm done. I'm done you can find different things. You don't need I'm to be a doctor. You know? Don't be school. There's a lot of shit you can do. In it carries a lot of responsibility to serve and protect Benita. To serve <laughs> and to protect. It's a lot of responsibility. You cannot Are you starving of, yourself? You even protect if your life depended on it. No? That's a red flag. Biologically speaking, you would be right. Yes, we all have to look out for ourselves. We need to survive. We need to find ways to survive. Logically speaking, though, <laughs> I still would disagree because, you know, there has to be a lot of screening that goes into such, you know, not anybody can just get it. Anybody looking to survive, no. You know, because this is something that is institutional. It's it's a national job, let me say. It's a, it's a very big responsibility. That's the same point that I'm still sticking to. You know, it's a very big responsibility that requires a lot of screening, both mental and physical screening as well, before you know you're given the job or even the power, the guns and the what the whatnot, you know, that you need to run in, in that office, right? So there has to be a lot of screening that goes into that. Not anybody who's hungry should get that job, in my opinion, because it's a big responsibility. You're upholding the laws of the country. You're upholding the laws of whatever city you're in. It becomes, it, it, it's, a, it's a bigger thing. It's a bigger responsibility. You're now no longer responsible for just your family or for yourself alone. You're responsible for the whole nation, for the laws, upholding the laws of the nation. So yes, you're right. Biologically, we need to survive. Logically, I don't agree that. No, no, no. Logically, I do agree with you too, and I do stand on you, which is why I say like the the system itself being the top, the pot, the top like issue. But when you look below the system itself, like what other factors underpayment and underpayment is another reason, because. We all know you're gonna, not everyone, we say screening. First of all, the screening we already agreed on most of the time, this screening is not really done properly. You had a physique that say, get in, they need more people in there. Um, so that, that the screening itself is already bad. So you now have people in the system, right? What can you do? To now reduce that case of them acting like crazy, give them more money, pay them rightly, and then then supervise them as you said, so that you can now try to minimize the incidences. But if you already know the system is, I don't want to say the word is already. Um, now I don't have the correct English. I mean, how do you say the fact? Messed up. <laughs> Messed up, yes. <laughs> wow. Wow. 
This was my interview, bro. You don't have to edit. That would die. Wow. Okay. I think I should have You guys are good? Okay, cool. <laughs> that was a... Uh, that was a great back and forth. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't even know what the original question was. <laughs> I just know the most important thing that we should take away is to serve and protect. That's what we need to remember. That's the job. You serve and protect, live by integrity, change the system itself because that is the biggest issue, go down to underpayment, because obviously the people who are already in there and it's going to be so hard to get rid of them. So the best way to deal with the issue that is already in existence is increasing the pay to the right payment and training again. You need to retrain the whole because we don't know who who is who, who is not. And as we said, uh, Luden did mention about it, this when the initial screening happened, obviously, there are people who don't have the qualification to be able to hold people's lives, you know, into their hands. As a police officer, you are holding a person's life into their hands. If you, for some reason, not qualified anymore, you should be able to be screened. There should be maybe every five months or every three months or every one year screening for the police officers so that they can keep track of those who are like mentally and physically able to actually hold a person's life into their hands. That's what I mean. Um, uh, this came across while I was doing my research earlier and I thought it was interesting. But in some places, a plumber, like let me just say the US itself, plumber needs more hours on training, more hours of training on the job than a police officer. And I thought that was kind of funny. You know, <laughs> that's true. So that's really true. So yes, the training part is really important because um, you know you can't have you just can't have people out there when you, you haven't really evaluated their, their their psychological you know behaviors and whatnot. You need to understand people that you're sending out there to quote unquote serve and protect. You know, so it's important to know the kind of people that you're taking out there, and they also need to have maybe um, a few lessons on uh, things to do with uh, philosophy, psychology, human behavioral sciences that, that will help them understand people better so that there isn't any bias or fear that uh, that people out there are just inherently bad. I could speak specifically for the, what the black people are experiencing, like in America. Most of these officers, it's because they're biased. They believe that, you know, black people are just inherently violent and, you know, bad which is why sometimes it may not be the ma- the main the main case, but it's it plays a role in that as well, the bias thing. So, if you could teach these people, the officers, let me say, to to understand people better, to understand to have to think better, let me say, generally speaking, there would be fewer cases of police brutality or corruption or nepotism, you know. So I think yes, they do have to spend more hours on the, on the job, you know, training before they can be sent out there. Yeah. Yeah, but I think uh, you and Malik did an <laughs> amazing job. But there's one last point I did want to hit, though, um, which was, like, uh, the presence of, like, police in communities. Um, I know, and I know there's always, like, uh, the whole movement of, like, 
police presence, like they don't want it in certain communities. And um, the story about Nathaniel in South Africa, that was like uh, one of the things that the community was talking about, that they don't want police presence there anymore. How do you guys feel about that? Do you think that's something that should happen? If I may, I think before it's kind of a double-edged sport, like you said. Before answering such a question, you need to first take a step back and look at the different perspectives. You can try to first look at the community. Certain communities, speaking of the one you mentioned in particular, but certain communities could be toxic, you know? Maybe the, there may be certain life, lifestyles that they've encouraged in the youth or just in, 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 in the population, right? That could be toxic even for those that are trying to legitimately survive. In that case, we, we might need, you know, a certain system or a police force to protect those that are trying to legitimately scrape by, you know? And again, you can look at the system of the police, uh, the, the, the police, uh, the policing also in that community. Um, is it, is it biased? Is it, uh, is it toxic for the community as well? In which case, maybe the system might need a reform. So we can try to look at it both ways. Maybe the community needs a reform as well. If they can survive on their own, there's, Everybody's living in harmony and everything. Then we don't need a police, you know, a police state or a police uh, system in place. But if there are a few uh, malicious people in there, you know, who are trying to make life difficult for those that are trying to to survive in in legal ways, uh, I think then we might need the police, you know, system in place. That's kind of my opinion. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, kind of like, uh, I guess. Back in the days where there was like self policing, because I mean, technically that's how gangs originated. They were the police of the community. But yeah, I agree. Um, I think that makes sense. But in terms of like Africa, like I haven't, I haven't personally experienced like or had like an encounter with the, you know, I'm just going off of like what I read and what I, you know, learned from my parents. I think like, you know, they use too much excessive force and they're just power driven. I don't, I think some, like, like you said, being on the community, I don't think they will probably need them, you know, but again, like we've been like emphasizing training is like the most important thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I do think train, I mean, we, we, as we all say, like, I don't, they don't necessarily need to get rid of the police. Like the the force of people like perpetrating criminals is just like the system itself, like training, like making sure like this this and this that is highlighted. Also like the payment, and then um also like. So if I could just jump in real fast, um, I agree that uh, you know we should have better all of these things in place like uh more people that are more uh, well-versed with the community, you know, that might help, yes. But have you guys considered the fact that maybe our political systems around the world today might highly depend on the policing standards that we have in place to, you know, to maintain the agenda, if that makes sense? I will speculate that, but since I don't have no data, I would just leave it as a speculation. 
Sure. <laughs> that. But we also have, we can talk about changing the system, but I think the best place to start uh, would be to, you know, by putting repercussions in place for those that are perpetrating this, the, the, the laws as we speak, you know, because changing the system won't happen overnight. It's something that could take years or even hundreds of years, you know, to be implemented properly. But for now, we can start with accountability for the perpetrators. We can start by putting repercussions in place, regulations in place, because I feel like we have these police officers that are meant to uphold the law, but there's hardly any laws that are upholding or guiding them, you know. So I think that's something that we need to also work on. We need to have guidelines in place for the police officers and for the government officials as well while they uphold the law. That's true, which brings me to this point. Like in America, right, there is, when we look at America, most of the things, they have those laws. But what happens in America is that there's these police unions that protect the police, and they are literally impossible. Even if there's a police, we, we saw like George Floyd um, killers, right? It was clear on cameras. Everyone saw it, but because of the police union, it becomes impossible to like fire or even do anything to them. Even if they're fired, most of them still get even benefits after being fired. Oh, it's so hard to even persecute them because there's now this protection. But the question is, are the police in, in Africa, do police in Africa have this type of protection? Or if they are found guilty most of the time, do they get punished or do they not get punished? What happens when a police officer in Africa gets caught in wrongdoing? Are they protected? Is there a system that protects them or is there a system that does not protect them? They definitely do. Because um, the story we just talked about, the South African boy that was killed, um, one of the officers, right? Scorpion. He has the track record of doing that type of stuff using like i guess brutal force against civilians like you know and he had open cases on him but he was still on the force like still working you know what i mean so and plus you know he he has connection probably straight to the government you know what i mean so it's like i mentioned about this uh, kenyan police officer Mohammed ali that was killing criminals and suspected criminals right in the streets in front of, you know, in view of everybody. But he has never been charged, you know, with unjust killings because these people don't get the chance to, the chance of trial. He just, yo, you're a criminal. Shoots them point blank, you know. So I think they do have a bit of protection in place, even if it might not be as good as what what's in the States. They do have protection. And there's also lack of proper investigation that goes into some of these uh, crimes that they commit sometimes. There's hardly anybody there. We, I mean, we don't have good, should I say, investigation systems in place that would help us try to find the perpetrators, you know? So there's a lot that you can consider when talking about Africa. We don't have good systems in place to investigate some of these cases. And sometimes they might be protected by their own fellow officers or even governments, like what uh, Amy has mentioned. Um, I think I think we had a 
well, you you and Malik, you and Malik had a great conversation. I was just I was just here today. But yeah, you I think the main topic, uh, Emmy. What are you talking about? You are uh-huh. the main topic on this conversation. Nah, the incident nah, that nah. happened. Go back and listen, guys. The beginning of the podcast. It was yeah, all Emmy. <laughs> yeah, I realize I'm like the common denominator with all these police stories. So it might be the problem. But um, we. Just remind me not to take a ride with Amy. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't. Please don't. Uh, only look, <laughs> I said I have glasses now. <laughs> I, don't I, I swear. I, have a, I actually have a great like driving record. The girl with the text ride with you ends up in trouble <laughs> somehow. <laughs> Bro, I panicked. It was dark. <laughs> 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 oh man! Like I actually, oh man! Yeah, no. that's why I got glasses because it's hard to see at night. I don't, Emmy. You want a closer? <laughs> Sorry, Emmy. Emmy's gonna kill me, guys. But like, shout out to all my Caribbean friends, especially those from Barbados. You saw the the recent news where like they finally took down Queen Elizabeth. Is it Queen Elizabeth? Right. Yeah. Oh, yes, I did. Yes, I did. And they yeah. have a black president. Yeah, that story made me mad. I saw it later, but like still celebrating because it was a big step and I applaud them. I rejoice with them and I hope other countries keep doing the same for yes. yourself. When South Africa gets back its diamonds from Queen <laughs> Elizabeth, <laughs> that's, 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 when diamonds. <laughs> that's when I'll see progress. <laughs> I haven't seen progress yet. But yeah, no, that's exciting though. Um, I think it's the step in the right direction. Definitely good to mention. But we did hit, like, uh, I guess, all the points that we wanted to hit today. Everybody shared a personal encounter that they had with the police. Um, we touched on police brutality in Africa just a little bit, not too in-depth. We looked at the connection between police and corruption in Africa. Benny brought some curveballs. <laughs> about the system and influences of like west of the western world on the african policing system what else yeah we also learned not to drive with me because apparently i'm the issue so (laughs) but yeah um, make sure that you guys are following us on all our social media platforms our ig our twitter um linkedin and uh, our websites. I'm not sure what they are, but no, I'm joking. Uh, IG, IG is a uh, underscore official Next Stop Africa. Twitter is a uh, underscore Next Stop Africa. <laughs> um, LinkedIn, LinkedIn is Next Stop Africa. And then uh, our website, which is uh, www.nextstopafrica.net. Wow. Yes. Okay. Cool. Here to buy still yeah, no, I did. I did remember, right? I got it right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I don't know about the Twitter, but like, I know. Nah, I, no, I know one of those is wrong. Around, I know. Like, yeah. I know. You. I know one of those is wrong. You can find everything on our uh, website, so yeah. don't listen yeah. to me. Just go to the website and find us. Yes, and then um, now for the my favorite part of the show is a song of the day. Um, I don't know. Oh, <laughs> what did you say? 
He said, fuck the police. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Um, So today's song of the day is coming out of Nigeria. Song is Yellow Fever. (laughs) Artist is... (laughs) 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 Artist is... But yeah, make sure you guys tune in to the next episode of Next Up Africa. Um, I just quick mention, I know the holiday season is coming up. So we're going to be, you know, a little bit all over the place, but we're going to try to stay consistent. Um, But yeah, uh, again, the main message for today is the police is supposed to serve and protect. (laughs) Stop going away message. But until next time, uh, peace.